On this week's Spoko Radio, we inflict some pain on ourselves. We rewatch the 2015 Big Ten Championship game against Michigan State and relive one of the worst nights we had as Iowa fans. We take a look at where it all went wrong and discuss the biggest moments and some of the forgotten plays in that game. We also discuss a listener hypothetical and talk about Big Ten Media Days by translating Kirk Ferentz sound bites. Shout out to BTN for the audio that we used during that segment. Sit back, relax, and get ready for the boom. Unbeaten no more. Piling on now is Iowa as they crack the 50 mark against the mighty Buckeyes. But when his number was called, seven got six. Welcome to Spoko Radio, presented by Blackheart Gold Pants, SB Nation's community for the Iowa Hawkeyes. I'm your host, DC. With me, as always, it's Jerry Sherwin. Jer, what's going on? People warned us not to watch the Big Ten Championship game again, and we should have taken their advice. Yeah, we probably should have. We'll get into all of that a little bit later in the show, but we inflicted a lot of pain on ourselves uh, this weekend. And also with us, it's the people's champ, David Johnson. Champ, how are you? I'm good. I mean, I did feel a little bit of a, a little bit of pain this morning when I watched that game, but I thought actually it was going to be worse. So I was pleasantly surprised after I finished watching. I thought it might have been a little worse for me. It, it's it's a hard rewatch, and I'm sure not many Iowa fans have watched that game again since it originally occurred. But uh, we'll go through it all, so you guys don't ever have to. Uh, as a reminder, guys, follow us on Twitter at BHGP, at Dave Cray, at Jerry Sherwin, and at Shy People's Champ to get in touch with us. Make sure you're subscribing to the pod on iTunes, on Spotify, wherever you guys get your podcasts. We are there. And leave us questions, thoughts in the comment section on the site when Jerry posts a story about the, about the uh, pod or tweet us directly with your thoughts. Send us some questions, send us your thoughts, whatever you guys want to do. We actually got a question or a thought from our show last week, and we want to kick it around this week to kind of kick off the show. So this came from uh, Gookin on the uh, comment thread of the post that Jerry put up with the show link to it, and it kind of builds on what we were talking about uh, with the future of Iowa football last week. So it's a would you rather, and I'm going to throw it to Champ first, would you rather have Kirk as head coach for the next three years and guaranteed to win at least eight games a season, or Brian Ferentz as head coach for the next ten years Guaranteed to win at least seven games a season. Uh, I think you have to go with Brian Ferentz. Uh, when you have a guaranteed uh, seven wins for the next ten years, I, I, I don't know how you couldn't pick that as your choice. Uh, thank you also for the question from our loyal listeners. We appreciate that. But, yeah, it's uh, it's Brian Ferentz. That, that keeps him in tow for the next ten years. That gives us a, you know, a guaranteed seven wins over those ten years. I'll take that every day as much as we all know how much I love Kirk. Uh, only three years at eight wins is it's just not enough of a guarantee for me not to take Brian Ferentz. So, and then just another call out, one caveat, which I don't think it changes your answer, Champ, is nothing else is guaranteed. So any coaching staff changes could occur. You could have more wins than seven or eight for, for the coach you'd pick. But basically, you you take the, the three years at competing at a high level 
with Kirk at winning at least eight games or 10 years with a much higher floor than what you know you might get if if in the future with if Kirk does decide to retire Jared is what's your choice so I'm going to stick with the storyline that I've been talking about since we started this show back up again and I'm going to take the three years of Kirk Ferentz at eight wins, and I'm just, I still believe Brian will be around for those. So then I get an additional 10 years on top of the three years of eight wins. So this is, I mean, I just really, I truly believe in my heart of hearts, Brian Ferentz isn't going anywhere. I think he wants to be the next head coach of Iowa, and in three more years, is that really much longer than the current state of the union with this team right now? No. So I'm going to take Kirk's guaranteed eight wins, probably a Big Ten championship or two, because that's what I already believe in. And then Brian Ferris is just going to walk right into that coaching job anyways. And then I'll have 10 years of probably seven wins no matter what anyways. Riding the fence at its finest. Does your opinion change if the Brian hypothetical portion of this changes to you're guaranteed at least two division titles over that 10 years with that, without a win floor? So you can get two – there's two years in that next 10 that you know you're winning the division. But the other eight years could be – disastrous seasons no because i believe we're winning the big Ten west this year so this one's already kind of a wash for me and i believe with that recruiting class that we have coming in and the and this will come up later too when we talk about the big 10 championship but the level of athlete at iowa right now is very different with brian ferentz as the offensive coordinator and kind of running the recruiting show um so no i i'm sticking the same way i think that we're going to win one this year we're probably going to win another one within the next five all right and so my my thoughts on this is it's Brian. I'd rather get the next 10 years at a guaranteed minimum seven wins. The bigger reason for me is as much as I love Kirk Ferentz, he has done tremendous things at the University of Iowa. He should he gets to walk out and retire on his own terms whenever that day may come. But for the sake of this hypothetical, I'm ushering in the new guard. The reason, main reason being is I'm ready for a more modern take on some of the football principles that the Iowa Hawkeyes have. Case in point being on defense in our beloved cash position that seemingly everyone is obsessed with around Iowa football. Let me, in, let me give you guys a little bit of a tip on what the cash, cash position is. It's a nickelback. It's something that the <laughs> NFL and most other football has been doing for years. But in the last two and three years, because Iowa changed the name and moved a safety down into the box, it's become a, a new revelation. I think the only reason we got that we got to this point in the defense out of a, a strictly four-three is because Phil Parker changed the name of the position from nickelback to cash, and he made it sound cooler and different. And Kirk was like, "Oh, sounds good. Let's do it. I'm ready to kind of move on from that and put in a new a new head coach who's going to have new modern principles." On and more willing to adapt to the modern age of football. So let me kind of get that started right now. That's my own personal thought. But, hey, I know, people, Kirk, you have done tremendous things. You can retire whenever you want to do. But for the, for the sake of this hypothetical, let me bring in some, some fresh blood. I think you're taking, like, a media-created storyline that's kind of been overblown about, like, how great it is that this cast position exists and kind of blaming Kirk for that. Like, how do we know that it wasn't Kirk telling Phil, like, hey, you know what? We probably need to bring Imani Hooker down and play a little bit more. Thank because you. Because these linebackers I mean, just aren't going to done. I feel like we blame Kirk for a lot of things here. And Kirk might be the one that's changing the guard a little bit here. This love for Brian Ferentz and Phil Parker. Maybe it's Kirk. I mean, he's definitely more aggressive in-game. We've seen that the last few years. And, you know, I hate to say it, but Phil Parker playing 4-3 defenses 
for you know three four years straight and getting beat by those little slot receivers maybe he actually watched some film and was like hey maybe we should put you know our best athletes out there and get the job done come on there's definitely like a it goes back to the talent that they're recruiting and bringing into Iowa though too like watching that 2015 team did you really trust them to run the nickel package those safeties couldn't tackle anyways they're the ultimate Madden truck stickers now like they're going after these guys that they can bring in that are a higher level talent higher level athletic ability and Phil Parker is making sure that he's getting the guys that can fit that defense so I think it's a hand-in-hand thing but I do think Brian's the one that gave that fresh wave of uh, like a new era in there. Here and we Kirk go listened with to the his son. For Brian again. No, uh, I think Kirk listened to his son. I think Kirk listened to his son and was like, you know what? You're right. I'm going to let you kind of take some reins here. But ultimately, it comes down to me saying yes. And he did. So I'll give you guys that. I think Kirk's done a tremendous job lately in the, in the recent history of adapting and, and kind of being more open minded to things. My thought process there is wouldn't you rather have the coach? in charge who doesn't need to go through kind of hoops to get newer things implemented? No, because Brian's not ready yet. Not even close he, to being ready yet. And Kirk's done it for 20 years. So that's right. And he's implementing them anyways. Exactly. But it's, it's, it's literally taking a, a, a noted or a, like a, a known defensive position, a strategy and having to rename it to get it implemented. I again, I think they just named it that because that's how they want to name things in their individual offices. But I they think the literally media put ran with on the, the two on the two deep this week. They listed it as five with the cent sign. That's a nickel, right? So they know what it is. I think it's the media. Then just call it what it is. I think it's the media and Iowa fans going like, "Holy shit, we're running!" We. It was just like maybe a couple it, years ago. I mean, let's maybe it helps the recruiting. I mean, it, it's a cool name. It helps bring in more athletes. I mean, who knows? What was Phil Parker's like stand-up defense that he ran the 2015 game? They um, called. It was the. Um... Oh, well, they were talking about it. I know. But he did game. that back then, too. And, like, those are just the things. Like, they, they slowly implement these things, but they're implementing them. And that's all that really matters to me at the end of the day. And I think Iowa does know that it's a nickel. And I think Iowa fans run with the cash position, and they like the way that sounds. Cash. I mean, it's all Cash. Great. <laughs> all right. So that, thank Raider, you again. To, thank you again for the question. It, it did get us kind of talking on the text thread. While we were uh, kicking things around. So don't be shy, everyone out there, of, of kind of sending us questions, thoughts, comments, whatever. We are open to any and all feedback. We like to have fun with it. So don't hesitate to reach out. Guys, It's we're almost there. I don't know if you guys, can, <sighs> guys know, but we're very, very close to some fo- actual football happening. And the reason I know that is because it's media days. The Big Ten media days were last week here in Chicago. And we got to get some players, some coaches together in a big ballroom in nice suits and talking about football. We're getting oh so very close to actual football. Can I'm excited. I mean, media days, especially the Big Ten, is kind of lame. Oh, it's so but, boring. But it kind of kicks off the, hey, we're almost there. We've almost made it through. We're almost to another football season. And uh, the, re- the way we kind of want to talk about media days here this week is – the head man himself, Kirk Ferentz, he is the epitome of a walking cliche. I think we, <laughs> we know we won't get much in terms of bulletin board material or groundbreaking things from Kirk when he's in front of a microphone. So we want to have a little fun with, with the things he was answering during media days. And we're going to try to translate what he's 
actually trying to say with a couple quotes from uh, his, his time in front of the microphone in, in Chicago. We're calling this Kirk in translation. So I've got three questions that I plucked out uh, from his time, and I kind of want to read you guys the question, read you guys the answer, and get your thoughts on what he really means from what he's, tr- what he's saying here, trying to go beyond the answer. Sound good? Let's yeah. do it. All right, so first one. You mentioned uh, it comes down to fielding a championship-level football team. How far away do you think you are from uh, winning that Big Ten championship? Well, we'll find out. We, we have a chance. I have an opportunity. And, uh, you know, it's the first thing you have to do is put yourself in position uh, to be competitive. And uh, you know, then once you get to that spot, um, then, then it's a matter of just handling all the little things well. And, uh, you know, last year we I thought we played good football, uh, all of our four losses. Uh, you know, I, I can do math. They didn't come down to one possession, but if you were at the games, they were basically one possession ball games, and uh, that's that's really the difference between you know uh, being at the top, being you know near the top, or being in the middle, or being at the bottom. You know how you handle those little things. So uh, for us, historically, we have to be able to win close games, uh, and then I think bigger and more importantly, the bigger picture. You know, we have to be really be improvement driven. I mean, we better be getting better, uh, and that's true any day of the week that's true any month of the year if we're not moving forward uh, we're gonna have a hard time you know being successful so you know if our players understand that and we do a good job as coaches we understand that then at least we give ourselves a chance to to maybe be uh, competitive when it all counts coach Ferens is saying that he knows that this team is championship level but because it's Iowa he doesn't want to get too ahead of himself he'd rather have the media continue to pick Nebraska or let or maybe even Northwestern but he just wants to be the sleeping giant that is returning a three-year starting quarterback one of the best defensive lines in the country and two all pro future NFL tackles and he's just going to go out there and let it rip Kirk Ferentz doesn't get ahead of himself he knows that it's one game at a time type of season but he knows looking at the season ahead that if things changed a little bit last year in those one possession football games Iowa's going to win the Big Ten West, and they could potentially do it back-to-back years. This year's all about changing those one-possession games, and I think they know what their mistakes were, and they're going into the season, they're going to correct them. Champ, do you have a different take, similar take, to what Jerry is how Jerry's interpreting that answer? Uh, it's a very similar take. He's basically saying, hey, guys, we have the horses here to be a competitive, great team in the Big Ten. We, I even, the way I heard it is, we had these same, this same talent last year, we just couldn't get the job done at the end of games, which is why we lost these four games by one possession. And basically he's saying we need to change that this year. And if we do, we're good enough to win the Big Ten. I mean, they have very – they may have more talent this year, but they had talent last year too and could have easily represented the West in the Big Ten championship. And Kirk is saying – like Jerry said, this is Iowa, so he's not going to get too crazy and ahead of himself and be boisterous and say, you know, we're the best team in the West. We're going to go out there and prove it. But that's pretty much what he's saying. He's saying if oh, we yeah. close out games, we're going to be the best team in the West. And uh, I'm excited. That, that I mean, that quote got me a little jacked up. The first, like, 20 seconds of it, then the last, like, 15 <laughs> was, like, rambling on, like you said, DC. But, I mean, at first, that got me pretty fired up. Yeah, I, I think he – and I think the, the nice thing of having a head coach who's been around for 20 years is that you can kind of get – you can have a better idea of what he's trying to say when he's not saying anything at all. And I think you guys hit the head, nail on the head yep. is that him just saying we have a chance, we have an opportunity, and the first thing you have to do is put yourself into a position to be competitive. He knows you guys are a good team this year. He, yep. He's excited. It's a team that that is built in the way – 
that historically good Ferentz teams are built, and I think he knows that hopefully with a little bit more of a you know better a better play calling and things like that, that this team chemistry wise is kind of right through there. And it's a better lock, honestly. Like this is a couple of those plays. If you get a fingertip or you you just make the right read or you get the timeout at Penn State, like all of a sudden things change quite quite literally. Yeah, absolutely. I also absolutely. want to ask you a quick question since Champ brought this up, that there was a middle part in there where it got him jacked, but then the other parts kind of just like left him feeling when wanting more. Like on a Saturday, who do you think gives the rah-rah speech? Because it's probably not him. Is it Doyle? Is it Brian? Who do you think does it? The players themselves, probably. You don't think any coach steps in and just, th- like, gets them all ready I to go? I think Doyle goes around the locker room and, you know, smacks them on the pads and is getting them going. And, and I think at halftime, see, the pregame speech might be Doyle getting them riled up. But then I think at half, if they're struggling, I think Kirk then voices his displeasure, gets them riled up, and then brings them <laughs> so, out onto So Kinnick we're losing at half? I mean, if we're losing at half or if they're not playing well in the first half, you know, Kirk's got to light a little fire under their ass and get them going. And, and I think he does have, I mean, from, you know, brief, brief clips that we get of locker room interactions from the, from the team as a whole, I think Kirk has great command of every locker room. And I think when they have that, that good leadership committee from a player standpoint, that respect goes both ways. And Kirk kind of knows that these guys don't need a big, normal, rah-rah, movie-style pump up the speech these guys are gonna these guys you know buy in they believe in each other they're gonna pick each other up i don't really think the rah-rah stuff it's not you know i was not minnesota right we don't have a head coach who's going to be all row the boat every like fam like it's it's inherent it's known we are family we pick each other up we're gonna figure this out we have to do the little things right and we're gonna move forward there's not much rah-rah i don't think around iowa football in terms of getting ready to play like these guys come ready to play Every single day, every single day of the week. Yep, that's probably true. All right, next question. Talk about Nate Stanley and the progression he has made at quarterback over the last few years. Yeah, you asked that question, I think, about the first time we brought Nate in. uh, um, I think it was like a third and one, third and two, or something like that. I don't know. Uh, Maybe third and four. I don't know. It's a third down situation. Against North Dakota State, his true freshman year, uh, something happened to CJ. CJ came out, and uh, Nate, Nate fired a strike his first play. So, you know, he was a young kid at that time. He was ready to go, and, and we weren't afraid to let him go. Um, and, uh, you know, I think he's just done a really good job for us. He's a tremendous young man, first and foremost. Uh, very serious, very conscientious, extremely hardworking, and uh, very team-oriented. So, you know, he, he's done a good job for two seasons for us. Uh, you hope all of your players are improving, and uh, I think it's really critical on any football team. If your best guys aren't improving and they're not playing their best, you're not going to have a good football team. And uh, Nate, you know, embraces that you know he can't wait to uh, play this year i'm sure and uh, i think one nice thing about experience you can't hand it to anybody he's he's been out on the field in tough circumstances so i think all those things will benefit him and i'm sure he'll put those to good use this this fall kirk believes 100 percent in his quarterback this year he knows that last year the kind of the stretch especially versus penn state the different games he went through kirk is fully trusting in what nate stanley is going to be able to do this year on offense, which is and which is encouraging because he loses his two best playmakers, and it's got a lot more is going to fall on his shoulders this fall. So I, for one, am excited. That that quote got me more excited for the season than his first quote quote on the team being championship caliber. What about you? what do you think, Jar? 
Well, Champ, I want to know from you real quick before I get into my Nate Stanley stuff. Do you think that makes you believe a little bit more in Nate Stanley's future NFL talents? No, I think it's <laughs> I think it's Kirk Ferentz saying I don't actually I kind of have a dis I disagree with Dave a little bit here. I think it's Kirk saying that he you know Nate Stanley's been here for two years. He's expecting him to get better, which is what he said in the quote. He obviously wasn't good enough last year, so he's expecting him to get better. And he's he basically in a nice way of saying it, just basically said that he's been on the field a lot, so he's a leader for this team, so he needs to play like a leader. That's basically what I heard. I didn't I didn't hear him say, like, Nate Stanley's the best quarterback in the Big Ten. Nate Stanley should be a first-round pick. Nate Stanley should throw 30 touchdowns and five picks this year. I didn't hear any of that. I heard he's been around for a while, so he should be on the field and he should be playing well. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. When I first read and heard this, I thought the same thing because he's talking. And, again, you have to think about, like, what Kirk's message is here. And he says a lot of stuff like, you hope your players are improving. And I'm sure Nate Stanley's doing this. And there wasn't anything, like, sort of saying, like, I know. Yeah. Except for the part where, like, he says, and Nate embraces that. So, like, I, I that's where I'm, like, I'm leaning on that and, and Nate embraces that on that whole thing. Because, Jim, I can see it your way totally. Then there's that thing in my head that just keeps saying, like, just believe. It's okay. It's okay to just believe. Nate needs to show me. I've, I've said this <laughs> within our first two weeks. I, I'm going to continue to say it until he actually shows me that he can be a top-end quarterback for this program. Because there's a lot of hype with Nate Stanley, but he hasn't backed it up yet. Who needs to show you more, Brian or Nate? They go hand-in-hand. Hand. If Brian is going to succeed, Nate is going to have to be a lot better. And it's back and forth between the two of them. They, they Those... equally need to show me the same amount of talent and coaching ability and playing ability on the field. They're, it's it's on both of their shoulders. A lot of Iowa success this year is on both of their shoulders. Champ, Champ sounds like a guy who has an NFL team with a quarterback and head coach who are a total sync of each other in terms of how they want to attack games. Well, I, I when the Bears show me that last year, I want Iowa to show me that this year. I mean, you want to talk about how Brian Ferentz is the next Matt Nagy? You said that in the first podcast. Let's fucking <laughs> see it. I want to see it. Hang on. Hang wow. on. I did not call him the next Matt Nagy. I said he can invigorate an off, a, a fan base the same way. You I didn't said say he's you the same basically said you want him to be Matt Nagy. You're striving for Brian Ferentz to be the next Matt Nagy. But we don't need him to be. He's the fucking right, no. offensive coordinator. Let him be the Matt Nagy of Kansas City. Let him call good games, and then you can get your head coaching job. We have Kirk. We don't need Brian wait, to be he, that. Wait, if he's the Matt Nagy of Kansas City, yeah. he's still Matt Nagy. That's true. That, that means Kirk's point. Andy Reid? But Kirk is a hell of a lot better, <laughs> in a hell of a lot better shape than big old Andy Reid is, that's for sure. <laughs> I wonder if he looks as good in red. Uh, we wouldn't I wonder know. if Kirk wears Hawaiian shirts. As he listens right, to baseball games on his porch, you think he rocks a nice Hawaiian shirt? A How many buttons do you think he buttons in the Hawaiian shirt? You think he leaves like three or four undone? <laughs> Kirk or, or Andy Reid? <laughs> Andy Reid! Oh, let's say Kirk buttons him all the way to the top. Yeah, for sure. Andy leaves two done. Yeah, he's a two-time uh, guy. I three, think Andy shows off. Three are getting into, like, titty range, and nobody wants to see that, Andy. I think Andy shows off the chesticles if it's really hot out. <laughs> And, and when it's really hot like it is this weekend everywhere, he, Andy's fully unbuttoned. Oh, for sure. Oh, Nips yeah. out for Harambe. Yep, <laughs> for sure. All right, the last question we're going we're gonna to kick around here. Coach, uh, you've seen a lot of changes during your 21 years at Iowa. If I gave you a magic wand, what change would you make today? 
<laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Uh, my first thought would be recruiting. You know, in a, you know, there, there's there. I have no no uh, positive suggestions to make. I mean, there are a lot of little tweaks I think that we need to make and could make real quickly, uh, but it wouldn't. It wouldn't address the, uh, I think, the number one problem. Just the speed of recruiting right now to me is really concerning. Uh, you know, in a logical world, you would wait for everybody to finish their careers, evaluate them, and then then go about the recruiting process, kind of like the NFL does it. And, uh, you know, they still make a lot of mistakes. I heard Bill Pullian on the radio this past year talking about uh, they always, you know, their study was somewhere roughly around 50% of the first rounders hit it. Think about the time and money they invest to uh, evaluate those players, college players, and uh, you know just how, how thorough and in depth that is. And and we're you know we're we're recruiting tenth graders. You know we'll have guys going into their junior year on our campus uh, here at the end of the month. We'll be hosting them for a junior day. So you know if you think about it from a logical standpoint, you really can't make it make sense. But you know that's the world we're living in, so you just adjust and adopt to it. But that, that being said, I think there are some things that we can do to make it a little bit more logical and a little bit more sane. And I think we've taken some of those steps. We just have a, a lot of territory to cover still. So, you know, it's, that's going to be a challenge moving forward for sure. Basically, he's saying in years past, I've had to get two and three star recruits because the other teams jumped on these four and five star recruits. And I wanted to wait back a little bit, let them finish their high school careers, like he said. And I didn't jump on him. Now he's basically saying he started to jump like the other coaches. He's not waiting back anymore. He's getting aggressive because the rules aren't changing. So you got to adapt to the rules. And I basically think Kirk is doing that now. And, uh, yeah, that's basically what I heard out of that. Jay, what about you? I heard Brian Ferentz got me and this staff all together to, to recruit better. That's what I heard. He doesn't understand it. He doesn't like it. It's very, very clear. Do we, so can we how get else? a question on this show without bringing up Brian fucking Ferentz, or is he going to be in every answer that we have for everything? Fine. What's his name? Tyler Barnes, I think, is the recruiting uh, director at this point. Then it's him, him and Brian Ferentz. The, the younger coaches have made have made Kirk realize that you need to just accept the way recruiting is nowadays. It's fast-paced. It's very early. It's I think everyone would agree it's obscenely early, but the rules allow for it, so let's make it – let's play by those rules. Right. Let's make the rules advantageous for Iowa. There's kids out there that are going to get – that we could probably identify right now as juniors because they have the Iowa way of doing things. They show the right character. They play hard. They have a chip on their shoulder. We can identify that with them as sophomores, juniors. So let's just go out there and freaking get them in here and get them early before all of a sudden they change to four-star athletes and then they're taking offers from Ohio State. Do either of you agree with Kirk's suggestion of slowing things down? Yes. Do you think recruiting needs to be slowed it down? It should be slowed down. It's ridiculous. I mean, it shouldn't be – you shouldn't have to go recruit a guy having not even seen him play in his senior year of high school. It's ridiculous. I think my, my one counter to that is that these coaching staff, I mean, look at Alabama, for example, how many consultants and all the, like these, these coaching staffs have just ballooned in size just because it's faster. doesn't mean like they don't have the resources available to them to make good decisions on this stuff. I get it. I get if I was getting burned by going too fast and missing out, like misevaluating players, but that's the one thing Kirk Ferentz and any one of his coaching staffs have, have, have a known solid track record for the most part. There's always going to be misses, but they know how to evaluate guys who are going okay. to develop and turn into good players. 
and they stick to their principles, DC. Like, there was a list that came out of all the scholarships that uh, that the, the major universities have offered. I was still on the low end because they, to the, they want their scholarship to seem like it's a prize, that it's hitting the lottery. They want you, then these kids to know, like, when we recruit you, we want you more than anybody. Where you go to a place like Nebraska or Minnesota that use car salesmen up north, all of a sudden they send out 400, 500 scholarships. You can't even look and see that much tape. It's impossible. Absolutely. No, and, and that's, and I think that's what Champ's getting at, right? Like, a lot of those kids are getting offered without actually being watched. If I, I mean, I was a, a, accepted this new wave of recruiting early. But they're still doing it their own way, and it's the way that they've had success doing, which I'm totally fine with. Yeah, yep. I mean, and I don't think there's any issues with there's it. There's no, I mean, there's no point of going and getting a four-star guy if he's not going to fit your program. I mean, if you know, if you don't even see him play, you don't know what he's about, and you're going to just recruit him, then you're just going to have guys transferring out of your program anyway, and there, there's no point of that. Right. Absolutely. All right, guys, that was our version of recapping media days for the Big Ten in our our fearless leader in front of the microphone uh anything else to talk about media days before we uh take a quick break let's get to the pain all right let's get to the pain but we'll first take a quick break and we'll be right back hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, guys. It's time to rip the band-aid off. We told you guys last week we would be re-watching and recapping the 2015 Big Ten Championship game where our beloved Hawkeyes played the Michigan State Spartans. A lot of you guys had on Twitter at least had the thought of, why are you doing this? This isn't fun for anybody. And to be honest, um, we've, we kind of feel like, and this is at least why, why I thought we were doing this, so you guys can each take kind of weigh in as well. But um, we've been very, very positive about Iowa. We've been very Kool-Aid, drinking heavy, the future's bright, all this stuff. So we want to take a step back and kind of show the darker side of things, what things kind of look like when it hurts. So you guys can got to get a taste of both the super positive side of Spoko Radio and the very kind of bummed out, negative, hurt version of Spoko Radio. At least that's how I interpreted why we were doing this exercise and going through the, this really, really torturous process but jerry why why do you think we were doing this because everybody hurts um i, I really the reason that i wanted to do this is because we were all at the game together and walking back to our hotel room champ and uh, another buddy of our spoko legend zach gatton um those two were kind of bubbly and they they walked it off pretty quickly but dc you and i basically Power walked home. We didn't speak to each other the entire walk. It was freezing out. We get to our <laughs> hotel room, and we still didn't speak to each other. Went straight to bed because we were so mad. Funny thing is I talked to your your now wife uh, more after that game than I talked to any of the rest of you guys because she called a check on us. Yes. And you weren't you – didn't, I don't think you answered your phone or she called me directly, and I talked to her on behalf of everybody else. She was concerned for our health and well-being. So I hadn't watched a single minute of that game to this point, and I felt like four years was enough time, and it wasn't. So It hurts. Champ, 
did, why do you think we, we are making you rewatch this game? I mean, first of all, that categorization of me walking back being bubbly with Zach is definitely not true. I was just as upset. We were literally talking out the entire fourth quarter of that game in, in depression. So it wasn't like a happy chat where we're drinking beers, walking back to our hotel. So, yeah, I mean, I echo the same thoughts as Jerome. It's, it's, I'm sorry for everybody that had to listen to him sing that lovely verse of Everybody Hurts because hopefully you're still listening to us and didn't crack your eardrum after listening to that. I but, uh, that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, we, everybody, you have to have pain to have success. So that was our pain. It was four years ago. It hurt rewatching it, listening to Gus Johnson run his fucking mouth. <laughs> Didn't help. We'll, we'll get back to that later on. But yeah, it, it, it hurt. But I actually thought it was going to hurt a little more. It did hurt, but it wasn't as bad as I thought. All right. Well, well let's get into it a little bit off of that note. What were your general thoughts? What storyline stood out to you guys as we were re-watching this game? Uh, Champ, I'll start with you. Uh, my general storylines of this game was I knew, I mean, we knew going into the game that it was going to be a defensive struggle. I mean, it pretty much was that throughout the entire game. Both offenses didn't have a lot of movement. I mean, it was, to be honest, if you were not an Iowa or a Michigan State fan, it was probably pretty painful to watch. It was a pretty ugly game all in all. Uh, and rewatching it just echoed those statements. It was, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust on both sides. I mean, there, there was really only a couple big plays. Obviously, we know we, we'll talk about the big touchdown pass from CJ to Smith. But, I mean, yeah, it was. I knew what it was going to be, and it pretty much lived up to that. Just a defensive battle of ugliness. Jared, what were your thoughts when you were your general thoughts as you were rewatching? What storylines kind of stuck out to you? I kind of mentioned this earlier, but I, I the talent that Iowa had, especially on the offensive side of the football, um, I think has gotten a lot better um, where we're at right now, especially the offensive line. Um, Boone Myers got his ass kicked and handed to him over and over by Calhoun, especially on big third downs. And uh, I think at that time we just assumed Iowa's offensive line was going to be like Iowa's offensive line every year. But it really wasn't that great. CJ was bummed and hurt because he got hit too much. Um, and, the, and the players that he was trying to pass to – don't even come close to a guy like a Brandon Smith champ and some of the tight ends that we've had recently. So that's kind of what stood out to me. And I think to kind of echo that, and the funny thing that you mentioned, the Iowa offensive line was not an Iowa offensive line that we have come to known for good teams. They were still a Joe Moore award finalist oh, yeah. for offensive line, which was, I, which is crazy to me. They were a very good run offensive, like a run blocking offensive line, but pass blocking. And I remember this in the moment too. They, they that just wasn't a skill that they had, but they they were able to move the push for the, those running backs, right? And and I think two things kind of stuck out to me rewatching it and kind of the storylines. The first one being, and I think we knew this in the moment, but if you won that game, or if Iowa wins that game, Iowa is playing in the college football playoff. And I think you knew, I knew it at the time, but I I don't I think Jerry, you tweeted the picture out when you were rewatching it last night of like the bracket. And seeing, actually seeing Iowa there and seeing how close it was one game away, it, it made it hurt rewatching it even more. I think we were out in Indianapolis all day drinking, so like we didn't have that repeated storyline of, the, of the, the, the four teams there and all that stuff. So that really kind of stuck to me. And my other thought rewatching it was, how, like, especially in that first half, 
how did Iowa lose that game? I think I even texted Jerry that while we were watching. How did, or how, while I was watching, it's like, how did we lose this game? There were so many different moments that just seemed to go yep. Iowa's way. Whether Michigan State was missing field goals, whether they weren't capitalizing on turnovers, or you know not punching the ball until and so just to me it seemed like that entire time, it kind of brought back memories of like feeling confident as that game was going on, and I think that leads right into our next thing we want to kind of get into is. That goosebump moment. So what were some goosebump moments, Jerry, that you had from rewatching this game? We're all going to say it, so I'll just get her off the top and we can move on to other things. The Tavon, uh, Tavon Austin, Tavon Smith bomb off that play action. Things were looking like really, really bleak. We were kind of pinned back in the in our, our own territory Second again. and 20. It was second and 20. Yeah, second and 20. Yeah. And just boom, all of a sudden, it just it happens for us. Like, on. It was like what we were calling for that entire game. I remember us looking at it and just like, why aren't they doing more play action? Why aren't they throwing down the field more? Because up to that point, it was just a ton of dink and dunk. And that's one of the big things, too. Like, that the goosebumps I got from that almost was just like a goosebumps because of Greg Davis's offense was just so lackluster that entire game. And then yeah. to see a play like that happen, and then for them to immediately go back to that same play on the other side to Vandenberg, who got held, which would have blown that game wide open on the very next drive, is just like... Those are the things in those moments where we as Iowa fans are like, why doesn't he do this more? And then it happens in a game like that, and you think you're going to win, and you're like, your defense, who has just come together and bailed out the offense all day long, you think it's, it's good to go. And like, even in that moment, I was, even in my head, I knew it was going to happen, and I still was like, I, will, I always might pull this off. Maybe things <laughs> changed. Like, maybe, maybe yes. like if I go back to the future here, like, things are different. Yeah, I think that's the that's the number one goosebump moment. I think that it goes without saying, and I think it's a very integral moment. I think also that we kind of will get to in, in a little bit later. But I think the other goosebump moments that I had were actually seeing on TV the swarm and watching those guys come out to start the game. Literally gave me like I was, I still knew what was happening, how the game was going to end, but it still gave me goosebumps watching those guys come out. On the, on the field at Lucas Oil for the Big Ten Championship game, that gave me goosebumps. And then, and I think the other thing is in the second quarter, when I was sacks Connor Cook, and then they missed the field goal in the second quarter, I think that's exactly when I said, how did we lose this game? That gave me a goosebump. Like, we're going to win this game. Like, the defense is, is firing all cylinders. Michigan State shooting themselves in the foot. Here, like, we're going to win this game. And it gave me goosebumps kind of thinking back. It still gave it to me rewatching this game. Champ, what about you? Uh, I mean, yeah, you guys have echoed. I had the Tavon Smith, obviously, as my number one thing. I texted you guys today as I was watching that. It still gave me goosebumps, and I even knew what was happening. So that is definitely the big thing that gave me goosebumps. And then it, it gave me goosebumps at the time and then made it even hurt even more is when in the middle of the fourth quarter when Iowa was up by four points, 13 to nine, and they showed that bracket again. They said they showed it. Iowa in there is that number four. They predicted them to be playing, you know, in the playoff if they just held on. That gave me goosebumps watching it. Like, holy shit, my team's going to be in the playoff. And then we all know what happened. And 22 plays later, they weren't in the playoff. <laughs> so there's another moment, too, that I kind of want to bring up. Um, it was, I think, Michigan State's second drive of the game. Iowa got the ball back after um, 
was it the fumble? Whatever. They get the ball back, and then Phil Parker dials up an amazing, like, stunt with Parker Hesse, and Jewel rushes the center, too, and he passes off Hesse. Hesse gets in Connor's face, and Jewel picks it off. I forgot that Josie Jewel was a sophomore then, and he was so little, but he was all over that field, and it was like the early taste of what Josie Jewel became to be, especially in going into his senior year, that guy that we all love, the outlaw. Like, watching him play at such a young age and making big plays in a big game, like, that gave me chills again, knowing what was going to happen for him later in his career so we all kind of talk about at least champ and i both talked about seeing iowa on that bracket and that video and like get, still giving us goosebumps today this weekend re-watching this game n- even knowing the outcome that we were that i was going to lose how about the fact that what if Iowa did win and they had the fate that michigan state did in the playoff where they just got trounced does that shit like does that change your feeling at all like is it just like do you like still wish we would have pulled that game out. We got trounced by Stanford. What's the difference? Yeah, I mean, at least we would have got trounced in the playoff, and we could have at least made the playoff. And who the hell knows what would have happened? I mean, we, I mean, we probably would have got our ass whooped by Bama, like we did. But I mean, you always have to at least get there. There's no way we would have been like, oh no, we'd rather not be there and just play in the Rose Bowl instead. I don't think we score either, though. After watching that offense again, like, I just don't think Iowa scores on Bama either. When I was watching that offense, I just thought to myself, how the fuck did they go 12-0? and 0? Like, <laughs> The honestly, defense. Jared, Jared, why don't you tell Champ your thought when you were rewatching about the offense? Or um, you, you want to save that for later? Uh, we can save it. Okay, we'll save that for later. All right, let's move on to the – what did I have? What do we have here next? We have the integral moments. So we kind of talked about the, the Tavon TD. And I think immediately following that for me was that very next drive the Iowa offense had. Them going, Jerry, you mentioned it too, going right back to play action and trying to go hit Vandenberg deep. And it, they had it, right? They, they had everybody beat. But Michigan State holds Vandenberg so he can't get to the ball. And it's a 15-yard penalty versus whatever could have been from that play had it connected, whatever. I think that to me – was the most integral in, integral moment. I think that whole drive, because they immediately unfollowed that up with trying to do a halfback pass. Mm-hmm. Like, And to me, it was like, I, that's not Iowa football. That's, that's them going for broke and trying to win that game, even though they had a four-point lead, which was so refreshing to see. And granted, it didn't work out, but I think it was Kirk's way of saying, like, hey, go for it. Our defense has been lights out all game. I think we're going to hold them if we need to be. And to me, that was such an integral moment of what could have been if Michigan State doesn't get a hand on Vandenberg and he's open and hits that. To me, that was the game. And that was the number one moment that stood out to me that probably doesn't go talked about too much around here. I I think the the most integral moment is obviously the Tavon TV and and the notorious drive that we still haven't really gotten to. But to me, that, that, that defensive holding ga- thing completely turned the game around, uh, ultimately. Uh, Champ, what about you? What do you think? Uh, my Actually, my most integral moment of the game, I had obviously the drive, but I think it happened right. J- Jer mentioned this earlier, the Josie Jewell interception. I think the most integral moment of that game is Iowa not scoring a touchdown after that interception. They had the ball. At the Michigan State 20-yard line, they were already up 3 nothing, or, or no, it was 0-0. They, it was, they were going in. They could have went up 7 nothing early in that game, and they had to settle for a field goal. When, you, when, you, when they give you a short field, when you're already in the red zone, 
you have to convert on a touchdown there. We knew it was going to be a low-scoring game. Them having to settle for a field goal there, that four-point difference, I mean, that's that's the game right there. I mean, they, they convert a touchdown there. We're not even – I mean, at worst comes to worst, we're going to overtime later after that crazy drive. And that says nothing of the fact that, like – I have a lot of respect for C.J. Beathard after watching this again because he he's the one who got that first down early and after on that first drive. Like yep. He took a punch right in the face, and he got back up. He was a little hobbled. But like you forget that that dude had like a bum-ass hip that entire – basically that entire season and just kept taking licks and in and, and integral parts of the game, he would go and then get something for you or make something happen or squeeze some sort of pass in where one of our receivers will make like a, a terrific catch. But, Champ, now that you kind of brought that up, I do have a question for you. So and now's the time, I think, DC. Okay. Brian Ferentz is the offensive coordinator in this game. Iowa wins, right? Oh, Jesus I mean, Christ. seriously. <laughs> I, I mean, mean, seriously. You're not going to hear me advocate for Greg Davis. That's not something I'm going to do. I was all for the change when they got rid of Greg Davis. He was so much in the past that was not even funny. I'm not going to sit here and advocate for Greg Davis, but we have no idea what Brian Ferentz would have done with those offensive tools that he had. Yes, he probably makes George Kittle a hell of a lot better, considering he's probably our best offensive weapon and had two catches that game. But, <laughs> I, yeah, so if you want me to answer yes or no, yes, we probably win Yay! that game with, what, 27-year-old Brian Ferentz as our offensive coordinator back then? He's, what is he, 32 now? So... Yeah, he's he's not old. No, I, I totally agree. When Jer, when Jer sent me that, I, I totally agree. But I also said there's probably a long list of monkeys picking plays off of a sheet that could have won that game with better play calls. Than in what, in what fact, his was quote doing. was, Phil Parker just picking plays out of the book would end up winning that game. Yeah, I mean, the four of us sitting there half drunk in the stands probably could have called a better game plan than Greg Davis. We weren't half drunk at that point, my man. That's true. <laughs> that was very Thank you early. big time for not selling alcohol in the stadiums. Yes, we were very drunk for that point. But we sobered up just in time for the nine-minute heart, open-heart surgery. Yep. Um, my most integral moment um, came, came on Iowa's fifth drive of the game. Um, it was right after Michigan State missed that 52-yard bomb. Iowa gets George Kittle, your boy champ. We get, we're so close. I think it's even like third and goal. And he has George Kittle just open in the end zone. Mm -hmm. He flips it to him. It's probably a little bit too high, maybe a little bit behind. And it lands on, um, was it Bulla, whatever Bulla, his name is. The, Riley Bulla's fucking back, yep. And, and then, then Cox scoops the it up and picks it. That right there could have changed the entire game very early. That's Iowa could have. Even if, they, even if they don't there. score a touchdown there, even if it's just an incomplete pass, Iowa kicks a field goal, most likely makes it. It's a what a nine-three game. Yeah, yep. and then and then at the end again, it's it's sixteen sixteen. Yeah, uh, that was the most integral part for me. I'm upset, a little more upset now <laughs> thinking about this. Because, again, it goes back to the thing earlier. I was like, you just got to have a little luck in seasons like these, and Iowa probably ran out of it in that moment. For that to stay on his back. <laughs> Yep. What about also kind of in the second quarter? There's a lot of momentum swings and integral moments in the second quarter, I feel like. There was the one time Iowa tr tried going for it on fourth down and they got called for the false start. Yeah. To me, that was a huge momentum swing, too. I think it, like, if they would have been able to run that play and convert it, like it could. It, there's a lot of things that if they would just would have broke Iowa's way. and like Michigan State just couldn't get out of their own way most of the time where they were just committing penalties, the turnovers – there were big sacks a lot of the times. We were in Connor Cook's face enough. 
Yep. That was a, they were, I think it was like fourth and three from like right around the 15 yard line. And yeah, yep. they had, uh, they first burnt, first Michigan State burned the timeout because they didn't think Iowa was actually going to go for it. Then Gus Johnson just kept telling us they're trying to draw them off sides, but they actually were going to run a play. And then, of course, they jumped off and then had to settle for the field goal. Yeah, who knows? They get that. That's another four points on the board. That's another huge difference. Yeah. So Iowa many three and four points. points that could have been added and that yep. the game wouldn't even have been close at the end. God. Any So we're going to kind of combine these next few with these integral moments. Any other momentum swings, any decisions made by the head man or any of the coaches in general that kind of stand out to you guys you guys want to touch on real quick? Uh, and we're going to get some fun, in, fun here at the end. I know this is probably not going to be something we really even thought about. Maybe it is. But my biggest thing about Kirk with his decision-making, whether it was Kirk or whether it was Greg Davis, we none of us really know. But it was when after Jordan Kanziri got injured early in the game, he went out early. He had two carries only. Then he went out. The fact that they would not use Akram Wadley more in that game, it was absolutely ridiculous. I see that Dave agrees with this as he's going crazy in the background. But, I mean, it's – I even wrote down a specific point in the game where Akram Rowley should have been used. I'll tell you guys right now. It was the <laughs> six-minute mark of the second quarter. He rushes two times for two first downs to get it inside the 15-yard line. Then he has, like, a 13-yard catch – after that, to get him with inside the five-yard line, what does Iowa do? They take him out of the game, and they bring fucking LaShawn Daniels' slow ass back in there who rushes two times for one yard, and then they have third and goal from the four. And guess what? Then they bring back Akram Wadley into the game. The guy did not touch the ball enough, plain and simple. He had five, six carries and four catches. That's not enough, especially after Kanziri went out. And to, to, to build on that, champ, because I 100% agree with you. I wrote that down many, many times in my notes while rewatching. Not enough Wadley. It was – he started the game. Wadley was the first back on the field when they had the, when they started the game on, on offense. So it's not like – it wasn't a trust thing. Yes, he was young, but he was the first back out there who – and he got the first, I think, carrier touch of the game at least. And so the trust was there. He's – for a team that, as we've touched on, lacks so many dynamic offensive playmakers mm-hmm. – he would have been in a game that's Michigan State's very similar to Iowa all the time defensively. You need to stretch them out horizontally to get them to create space. And Akron Wiley does that tenfold. Yep. And the fact that they had the opportunity to play him more with Kenzira getting hurt and they didn't was a huge kind of mistake or you know, missed missed opportunity on my part. Yep. I agree. Jer, any decisions, calls, anything you want to touch on real quick before we go into the the fun aspects of what this game was? I do. I have one what if, um, and it's the drive before the the drive for Michigan State. Iowa has the ball in the 50, and it's fourth and two. And they thought about it. What if Iowa just went for it and kept the ball? They're on the 50. I know it's tight, but, like, I feel like Newkirk maybe makes that choice because, again, like – I feel like they could have ran and picked up that two-yard gain. See, I I actually agreed with it watching it now. I think I even said this while we were watching it live. I agreed with the 
punt, punting them back, making them go the length of the field. To that point, Connor Cook can even throw the ball. I mean, his his balls weren't getting to receivers. You pin them back, you make them go the length of the field instead of giving it to them, you know, at midfield. Because even if they even if they do pick it up, let's say they get the first down and they drive down, they're not taking nine and a half minutes off the clock. Iowa is not going to take nine and a half minutes off the clock. So Michigan State's going to get the ball back again with a most likely a, an opportunity to at least tie the game. If Iowa kicks a field goal, they're still only up eight points. Then Michigan State still has the opportunity to tie it. So I agreed with that decision. I know looking back, you may go for it. In, in, this, in this hypothetical, I'm, I'm very much Jerry's fence-riding personality here because I go back and forth. I think in the moment, and I try to remember four years ago, I think I wanted them to go for it. I think rewatching it last or this weekend, I think I agreed with the decision even then. I, I kind of it made sense to me. Right now, I'm back to they should have just gone for it. Reason being, champ, you said it. You said it yourself. If they don't get it and Michigan gets the ball to 50 and they have what nine and a half minutes to go, they if either Iowa's defense plays like it has all game, at worst they at worst they up a field goal, so I was still up by one. At, at even worse, Michigan State scores a touchdown, but they're not taking nine and a half minutes to go 50 yards versus whatever they went before. So you get the ball back with much more time and all your timeouts still more than likely. It gives you a chance. They were, they were starting to see they were able to do that play action and kind of make some, make some move the ball offensively. So now I'm kind of leaning towards they should have gone for it. And I think it's a great what-if question that it makes a little bit of sense that it, it's worth it's worth discussing, right? I think there's there's no right or wrong answer there. Yeah, and I agree. I think at the same like again, they would have had some time on the clock to a little bit more time on the clock. Even if they give up a touchdown, it's like LJ Scott does the same damn thing. Let's just assume they score. Iowa at least has three and a half minutes to go down the field again. And like whether they do or they don't, whatever. But I just again, I think in the moment too, I was ready to go for it. But I'm always ready to go for it in fourth and two at the fifty. So. That's just my Madden brain going kicking in. All right, so I got three questions to wrap this up, guys. Get, let's get this pain over with. Give me your baby face of the game. Who was your hero? Who was your heel of the game? Who was your villain? And rank the loss in your Hawkeye fandom. Of all the losses that we've had to endure as, as Iowa fans, where does this one rank? Champ, I'll start with you. Uh, first of all, my hero of the game, I, I mean, you have to give it to LJ Scott. I mean, the guy just single-handedly that last drive, just picking up four, three, seven, three, four. I mean, it just, they just kept giving him the ball. And to think, I didn't even realize this, remembering it back. He was a true freshman doing this against our defense. They just kept handing him the ball. Connor Cook, yeah, made a couple nice plays on that drive, but that was LJ Scott. He's the hero of the game for me. Uh, the heel of the game for me is also a Michigan State player because I kind of did this a different way is uh, Shalik Calhoun. I mean, he pissed me off the most, so he's the heel <laughs> of the game. He just kept get he just kept getting to Bethard. They couldn't block him. He played so well. That whole Michigan State defensive line, you know, Iowa couldn't run the ball most of that game. Maybe that had to do with not playing Akram Wadley, but that whole Michigan State D line just played phenomenally. Um, and then my, what was the last question? Oh, where does it rank in terms of losses? I mean, it's got to be number one. I mean, that was so painful walking out of there. Just 
knowing that if you win that game, you're in the playoffs, no questions asked, no one can talk shit about us anymore. Oh, the 12 and 0 Iowa, they shouldn't be up there. They would have been 13 and 0 Big Ten champs going to the playoff. It's got to be number one for me, and, and, and it still is. Obviously, four years later, we haven't had a loss like that where it's as impactful for us. So yeah, it's number one. Champ, who pissed you off more, Shalee Calhoun or Gus Johnson? Uh, that's a close one because Gus. <laughs> I mean, the disrespect Gus had for us. But I mean, the one quote where he was like, uh, "What did he say?" What the Gus Johnson quote? Ah, uh, where he he basically said. The only people that thought Iowa had a chance in this game were the people that lived in Iowa. It's like, come on, Gus, we're 12 and 0 and we fucking got to this game. I think some people thought we had a chance to win it, not just us Iowa residents. Like, get it together. But yeah, I'll say Gus, fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, those same questions, I'll let you kind of riff on however you want to go with it. All right, so babyface of the game to me was two people. And I went through the, the, my Iowa lenses, but I think these guys definitely deserve to be, have some credit here. Greg Mabin and Desmond King had uh, such a fantastic game going against the best Big Ten receiver that year. They didn't let anything get by them. In fact, Josh Jackson had a couple of nice plays, too, when he went into the game. Like, that whole the, – the quarterbacks for that defense were incredible. They shut down the entire field. Nobody could get anything going. So Michigan State almost – yes, Connor Cook probably being a little injured helped them a little bit. But they almost were forced into having to run the football, which I thought would play into Iowa's advantage. So props to those guys for completely – like, when I would give them the short end of the stick, they came up huge. Um, especially that in that was, first drive. That was, those, they were my baby face of the game as well. They, they played outstanding. Yep. My heel of the game is Joel Klatt, and here's why. So after Iowa scored on the Smith heave, um, and there was like a Jordan Lomax play in there, um, he, he basically gave like the, the he's gonna, he hasn't missed a free throw all game speech. He dropped this one on Lomax. He hasn't missed a free th- Oh, wait, sorry, no. This is about the Phil Parker defense. Phil Parker and the defensive coordinator has to be thrilled with how this defense has played because they've got the job done all night long. That's good enough, and it's been excellent. And then what happens? The very next drive, Michigan yams it down their fucking throat. Wow. You're really going to put blame Joel Klatt for that? I mean, he was literally saying what has been happening, that the Iowa defense has been controlling that game. You're going to blame him for that drive? He ruined the perfect game. You don't bring up the perfect game in a perfect game. Wow. It's a very, that's a very Jerry heel to pick. It just Well, I mean, there's other things that Joe Klatt said because he was giving the same disrespect Gus was the entire game. Oh, the, it the wasn't whole, even the close. whole Fox production. The, the amount yeah. of the amount of disrespect Gus was throwing our way, it wasn't even close <laughs> to Joel Klatt. Those two in the top of the broadcast said it's number five Michigan State playing Iowa. We were right number four. <laughs> yeah, no one gave Iowa a chance in this game except the residents of the state of Iowa. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> All right, Jerry, where does this loss rank for you? Um, It's number one with a bullet. This thing hurt watching it again. This hurt in the moment. I didn't speak for, I think, a solid 12 hours, which is a lot for me. Um, Yeah, I think this in the Ohio State game where DJK ran it back. We went OT. James Vandenberg, is he going to go to the shoe and win it all? And Iowa's still going to be fine. Um, those are probably the two ones that hurt the most for me. The Ohio State loss in 09 hurts that much for you? I thought we were going to win an OT. DJK ran that shit back. I was like, <laughs> we're running this in the shoe. Ricky's hurt. Doesn't matter. James is the future, baby. He wasn't. 
<laughs> I had another 09 game as my second one is the Northwestern loss when we were undefeated and Corey Wooten ended our uh, what we thought was our season by taking out Ricky Stanzi. God, that hurt. I even when Corey Wooten eventually ended up playing for the Bears, I still hated that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, champ! Never, never lets a grudge grudge go. Um, yeah, I had Shirley Calhoun was my heel. He just torched the Iowa offensive line all game. He was a, just a menace all time. Champery talked about it. Jerry, we had the same the same baby face. The Iowa DBs were just exceptional. The Fox production comp- crew, they you know did a really lackluster job, but it was kind of par for the course that year for covering Iowa football. Uh, shout out to the solid verbal for how to talk to your kids about undefeated Iowa. All that stuff, it you know it. The fake kind of idea game, of college football. That game was. Uh, I think it was a loss. It sucked, but I think it it got Iowa a lot of respect, and in some ways, I think it helped kind of springboard what this recruiting has turned into lately mm-hmm. in the last four years. Um, so from that from that standpoint, I'm going to try to pull the positive and not rank it as the most heartbreaking loss. It it sucked a lot. I think to me. In the moment, I was younger, so it hurt a little bit more. It was a 2010 loss to Wisconsin. Um, the fake punt yep. the that they weren't ready for, it, I still remember being in there calling out for it from the student section. And it, it still haunts me, thinking back to what, they, what that season could have been. Granted, a lot of things came out afterwards in terms of how that team got along. Um, but... It, it that one hurts more, I think, for me in, than this game did. I think, in a in a weird way, I felt like we were playing with house money. It was we've already gotten to this point, and sure it'd be nice to get to the playoff. But at the worst, I think I, in the back of my head, I kept saying, "Hey, we're going to the Rose Bowl at, at worst," and we got. I mean, ultimately didn't go very well. But so I think from that point, it's hard to have this loss hurt that much. It was such a fun season, and. It it's I, I it sucks to watch the game again, but I had so many great memories thinking back to that year watching that game again this weekend. It was. I mean, what 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 do you guys think was more fun? That what was more impactful to you? That twelve and zero season or the way it ended, losing both the Big Ten championship and then getting trounced by Stanford in the Rose Bowl. I'll always remember that twelve and zero season because every week it was just like a roller coaster ride, like. Iowa, there was a couple games where, like, Iowa went down early, and then just like, oh, are they going to fight their way back again? But these guys, like, really cared for each other and loved each other and wanted to win for each other, and that was prevalent. Like, there was a lot of dudes on this team that probably, like, at another major program like that that's contending for the playoff probably don't even ever see the field. If anything, they're special teamers. But, like, a guy like Nate Meyer and Parker Hesse, those guys were, like, really freaking good, and they were hearts of the team. So I'll always remember that whole 12-0 season. Yeah, me yeah, too. no. It's remember it for the for those wins. I luckily was on a, was in an airport um, during the Rose Bowl and saw the first the beginning of it. Saw enough to know that I wasn't going to be missing anything by hopping on my flight. Um, so I choose to remember the, the undefeated season up to the Big Ten championship game, hundred uh, percent. Guys, any other thoughts as we wrap things up this week? No, I mean it's it it's it feels good to go back and have that pain and now. We're just going to go upwards for this season, and I think it's going to be, you know, heading uphill, and we're going to be – it's going to be a good year. I'm excited. 
I got some closure just in time for us to win it all this year. So I think it was a smart move for us to do this, boys. Well said by both of you. I think let's put this behind us. Let's move forward to bigger and better and more happier times. Let's hope we don't ever have to deal with something like this for a long time. Guys, be sure you're subscribing wherever you guys get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at BHGP, at Dave Cray, at Shy People's Champ, and at Jerry Sherwin. Uh, Leave us comments. Leave us reviews. It helps us out a lot. Uh, We'll talk to you guys again next week. Go Hawks. See ya. Brian Ferentz, the OC God. Trick or treat, Iowa City. (laughs) If you don't love it, leave it. USA, number one.